The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 43, How Are Fan Engagement Channels Moving the Football Industry Forward? another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who is a sports expert in a specific field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football sector. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now... Getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Drew Thompson. Drew is an online writer and the CEO at The Football Voice, where he investigates and writes about fan engagement in football. I can happily say I'm very interested in Drew's line of work, and it's great to have him as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode, Drew will share his sports career journey and explain how fan engagement channels are moving the football industry forward. Drew, it's great to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? Uh, Thank you, Ed. Well, it all started back in 2003 when I was fortunate enough to be involved in uh, the first Manchester United tour of North America. And that came around uh, as a result of me having built a relationship with Peter Kenyon, the then chief executive of Manchester United, and Peter Draper, the marketing director. And at that time, I was chief executive of Air Miles, which is a, a large loyalty program. But the core of the Air Miles business is it's a travel company at its heart. And I wanted to try and change how football clubs looked at travel as part of their tours. So I I proposed to Manchester United that rather than them traveling with st- traditional standard airlines, I would hire them a private jet uh, that I was made, I'd been made aware that the Dallas Mavericks, the U.S. basketball team, had their own uh, 757. And it had been kitted out uh, to suit a sports team. And so it wasn't just rows of seats. So it only actually had 57 seats on board in total. So very spacious, uh, very much laid out for, as I say, sort of high-end athletes. So they saw this and and Sir Alex Ferguson said at the time, we should definitely do this. And so I became a partner of Manchester United. worked with a very, very smart guy called Charlie Stilitano, who was arranging the tour, who's gone on now. He now runs a competition called the International Champions Cup, which is the preeminent pre-season tour that the major clubs in the Premier League, La Liga uh, and Bundesliga, Serie A, all participate in. So that was a very early iteration of what Charlie was trying to do. And so that's where it started. And we had a, they had a very successful tour 
They really enjoyed um, the trip. It was a big success. It opened up the U.S. market to them. And then as a result of that, I kept a relationship with Peter Kenyon, Peter Draper. And not long afterwards, uh, Peter Kenyon left and joined Chelsea. And uh, and then not long after that, Peter Draper left Manchester United as well. This this all happened around the Glazers uh, taking over. Uh, and so uh, Peter Draper and myself then set up a business together, which was to try and help advise clubs and leagues on how they could better commercialise their businesses. And uh, our first big client was Chelsea uh, with, with Peter Kenyon. And we also did a lot of work with uh, La Ligue, uh, with the Premier League at that time, some work with the FA. Uh, and then uh, over the years, that, that business has evolved into various different companies, uh, uh, and most recently now Football's Voice, uh, where I think the journey of football and my personal journey have, have sort of collided again around what I describe as football culture, which... I think is recognizing that we are at an inflection point in football where there's a generation of consumers now for whom what they consume and how they consume it is so fundamentally different to the generation before that the importance of live games was primary for for, for my generation. I think it's, it's still important, but it by nowhere is as dominant as it was. So the purpose of Football's Voice, my, my current business, is to recognise the role of football culture. So it's been a, a, a sort of a varied journey, uh, an exciting journey. I've watched so many and been involved in so many things changing in, in sport and particularly football. But, uh, but now I believe the future of football lies, lies squarely in what I would describe as football culture. I find this really interesting. Relating back to your personal journey, how have you seen the football industry develop during that time? I think that's the interesting question, Ed. I haven't really seen it develop, uh, and that's that's the disappointing aspect. Uh, I would I would say that football at the moment is there's an expression in in, in business uh, slightly unkind, but I think pertinent, which is I think football is fat, dumb, and happy. I think uh, football has had so much money gifted to it that it has never really had to take the time to innovate. Uh, if you're a business, if you can uh, imagine as you move forward in your career and you became the chief executive of a company, uh, and, and what happened when you were sat at your desk was somebody knocked on your door, uh, came in and said, Ed, the single biggest revenue stream in our business, you're not responsible for and somebody else is going to do all the hard work negotiating it, and then they're just going to give you the money. So just stay where you are. They'll give you a call shortly, and they'll tell you how much money that is. And the reality is for a premiership CEO, Richard Scudamore uh, does the hard yards, and the Premier League do all the hard work. And the single biggest, single biggest revenue line in any club, Manchester United included, would be the TV income. And, and you're not even responsible for that. Uh, it's, it's, it's given to you by somebody else. And then off the back of that, which has driven a global audience, then uh, brands want to be sponsors of your club because of the global media coverage that it gives them, and the rest flows on. So what you haven't really seen is football clubs innovating uh, or the football industry innovating at, at all. Uh, I think football has allowed itself to become 
a bit stagnated. It's uh, I think fans see that. I think fans are a bit bored of what they see now. There's there's not really anything innovative or different. It hasn't embraced social media. It hasn't embraced digital media. It hasn't recognised the changing needs of fans, and it keeps playing the same tunes. And uh, when I speak to younger fans, I, I, I really get a sense of disengagement, disenchantment, where they are increasingly frustrated with, with, with how football is presented to them. It's becoming worryingly irrelevant. Uh, they're saying, you know, really, I, do, I want to, do I want to sit down and spend two hours watching a football game? I don't. Uh, but what I would like is, sometimes I'd like to do that, but I'd like to do it when I want to do it, not when they want to show it to me. But I'd much prefer if it could be served to me in different channels where I'm consuming everything else in a way that's more appropriate to my needs and wants. You know, I've got my Netflix account, which means, you know, I might decide to 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 sit and watch 10 episodes of a of a box set in one sitting. Might get my mates around, get some beers and we'll sit for 10 hours and we'll watch 10 hours of, of, of narco. Uh, or I might watch a movie over the course of 10 days and watch 20-minute segments here, there, and everywhere. But I'm in control. And football hasn't recognised that. Football hasn't hasn't adapted to that. And I, I think football's in a really dangerous place at the moment. I think it's become so reliant on TV media money uh, in an era where TV media consumption is diminishing and the, and the younger the audience gets, the less they are consuming. I think football's in a dangerous place. I don't think it's innovated much at all. So just relating to an employment standpoint to people who aspire to work in the football industry, in your opinion then, what core skills do you need to make a difference to the point you've just made? I think there's a huge opportunity for people wanting to work in sport now who are young, who are aware uh, of 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 what the new media landscape looks like i th- i think we're entering an era where the skill sets that you would require to be truly valued in in the sports industry and and i would argue particularly football would be a true understanding and awareness of how football is consumed and to and to be able to bring that to the clubs and the leagues and the big agent representatives uh, and the big brands that are involved in football and help them reconnect with fans. Because the, the way that football is consumed now by, by younger audiences is just fundamentally different. And, and I'll, give you, I'll give you a sort of a, a, what may appear initially a strange example, but when you know, people often don't really understand or appreciate why football kicks off at 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. And I'd ask you the question, Ed, do you know why it kicks off at 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Yes, thinking back to my PE A-level studies, it used to be a tradition when the factory workers would finish work and then go off to watch a football game. You're absolutely right. So the purpose of that question is, and, and the purpose of the example is to say football built its entire structure around the fan. So fans worked five and a half, day, uh, five and a half days a week, Saturday morning in the factory, they, or the shipyards or the coal mines or wherever it happened to be. It gave them time to get home, get a, have a bath, 
get changed, have a pint, and go to the game. So if it kicked off at any other time other than three o'clock, it would not have been convenient for the fan. Uh, and so it recognised the importance of reflecting the lifestyle of the people that they wanted to be involved in the game. Now, I would argue football has got no idea how to reconnect with those younger fans. And therefore, I think those younger fans, as they move into the industry, need to be the catalyst to help football understand. If you want us to consume your product, you need to tailor around us in some way. The way, in the same way that football did at the turn of the century, when it recognised that the best way to get people into the stadium was to host the game at a time when they could go, <laughs> bluntly. And so I think, you know, that's the opportunity for young people coming into the game is to bring that insight bring that knowledge, bring that awareness, bring bring the, the, the understanding of what those fans like them want, how they can engage with football and how football can reconnect with them and make football relevant to them again, make it something that becomes a more important part of their life again. Because I think at the moment that really has been stretched quite far and I, and I worry that it could break. I, I genuinely worry that it could break because... As I say, increasingly, as, as the people running football are aging, uh, they are they are in many ways distancing football even more from from those fans. You know, we recently saw the, the BT Sport uh, deal with the Champions League, which uh, when you consider it, and I've got a lot of respect for what BT Sport are trying to do and Gavin Patterson and his team in, in terms of a sports strategy, but, but if we look at it from the fans' perspective, you know that this this really is is again significantly restricting how many fans can truly engage with Champions League sport, and so I think if if Gavin and his team had a lot more young people sat around that table, helping them understand how they could package up content that would be interesting and engaging and valued by younger fans, I, I think that would be truly valuable. What you are saying relates to today's main topic. How are fan engagement channels moving the football industry forward to resolve this issue? I think uh, football culture, and that's the, uh, the the umbrella I would put across fan channels, uh, YouTube channels like you know Copa Ninety or Football Daily or uh, Bleacher Report, uh, the the podcasters, the uh, the Twitter accounts. I think that that whole football culture movement, I think, is really and again, I think it's at that inflection point where there is an entire generation of football fans for whom these these publishers are more important, they're more relevant, and they are more engaged with them than they are with any club, any player, or any traditional broadcaster. And so I think those businesses have, have, have had a significant impact on how fans are viewing football. And, and again, it's no different. It's no different to when you look back in history. You know, I used the example of the three o'clock kickoff uh, uh, a short while ago. But it's no different to when I was a kid going to a game. What did I do on the way to the game? Well, I, uh, the first thing I did on the way to the game was I bought the fanzine. And that was as I walked to Celtic Park. And the fanzine was called Not The View. Because the match day programme was called The View. And so I'd buy my fanzine and I'd buy my match day programme and then I'd watch the game with my dad. 
Now, I then, either at halftime or after the game, I'd read both. And what the fanzine gave me was the fan-focused view on who we'd signed, who was playing, whether we were playing well, was a manager, should he go, should he stay, all the usual things that fans want to know about and argue about. And then I read the actual match programme, which gave me the manager's report and some you know, interviews with the players. And I, and I would find a blend of them uh, to, to, to help inform my opinion. Football culture is, is just able to play that role far more fundamentally now than, than was ever the case in, in old media. So I think, you know, you've seen the recent examples with uh, Arsenal Fan TV and and Gary Neville, where there was a, a bit of a sort of a spat and, and Gary Neville, and I think, again, this is a sign of the importance of these football culture channels. Gary Neville agreed to have an interview with Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV. Now, I would argue 12 months ago, 18 months ago for certain, that would never happen. That the, the, Those... Those football culture publishers, those fans, I just didn't have the credibility that they have today. So I think when you see Sky and Gary Neville feeling the need to respond to and engage with a fan channel in that way, I think you're seeing that there is a, a broader recognition now that these football culture, these, these, these football publishers have a very, very important role to play in connecting with fans. Would you mind explaining to listeners what the Football Voice is all about? So Football's Voice is about recognising the importance of football culture. I uh, have spent the last two and a half years uh, evaluating the entire football industry. Uh, and I mean that uh, as, a, you know, as a very broad study. So we've spent two and a half years, myself and my team, and we have spoken to... Uh, every major club in the world, uh, and that's at president, CEO, or owner level. Your Real Madrids, your Barcelonas, your Bayern Munichs, your Manchester Uniteds, Arsenal's, Liverpool's, AC Milan, the, the big clubs. We have spoken to the, the big agent representatives of the biggest players in the world, whether that's, again, a Cristiano Ronaldo, a Messi, a Neymar, a, a Gareth Bale. We've spent time with all the major media companies, uh, and we've spent time in uh, with all of the football publishers, uh, and we've we've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands now of fans around the world of all ages, as we try to understand just just where football is as an industry today, and and what became very clear, very clear, was that the importance of football culture was emerging as a strategic imperative for football. And so football's voice is about uh, investing in, uh, both financially and creatively, in the football publishers uh, within that football culture sector to, to, to allow them to uh, become the business that they can be, to help them have the same access to money, resource, and expertise allows them to compete with mainstream media. Because I think at the moment, a lot of these publishers are, uh, they still have day jobs. Uh, they do this, as a, I say, as a hobby, it's a passion, but they'll perhaps do it in the evenings or, or, or at the weekends. Some of them have been fortunate enough to make enough money to give up their job and do it full time. But, it, but it's always a, a bit of a struggle. 
to have access, as I say, to the to the money, to the resource, to the expertise, to be able to take that business on. And so what Football's Voice is trying to do is, is trying to bring those football publishers together into a collective where we will provide investment, we'll provide creative support, we'll provide resource, we'll provide data uh, support and management to allow them to, to really move on to the next level. And, and I think if we can do this successfully and we have partners in South America, in Western Europe, in North America, if we can do this successfully, I think we can create a, a collective of, of businesses that together are stronger more relevant and have a, a, a greater influence in the world of football than they would ever be able to do individually. Uh, and, 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 a, and a bold analogy would be when Rupert Murdoch came along in 91-2 and effectively established the Premier League and brought the clubs together, they were all successful in their own rights, but it wasn't until they became a collective that they truly were able to deliver uh, the momentum and uh, scale that they presented as a as a group, and and it's that same approach that we're taking now, which is to do that with these football publishers to 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 try and achieve the same outcome. This sounds really interesting. And relating back to your career now, what are your goals for twenty seventeen? For twenty seventeen, we want to establish Football's Voice as as the as the collective entity for football publishers we want it to be seen as the business that can help a football publisher become the business they can be so to provide them as i say with the investment the support the resource to allow them to develop their business in a in a, in a bigger way so if we can achieve in 2017 ideally in time for the new season uh, a, a, an initial group of founder members, and I reckon that'll be six to eight publishers from different parts of the world and different parts of that football culture spectrum. Uh, so, you know, fantasy football, gaming, fan channels, podcasters—you know—that that that breadth of 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 sort of consumption that fans are are familiar with. If we can get those people together for the start of the season. That would be a success because I think off of the back of that, we can then build into 2018 and, and grow that group to be a, a much bigger, much more powerful group of, of, of publishers. Drew, that sounds really exciting. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to work in the football industry? I, I think the best advice that you can give anybody, and I was blessed to be given this advice when I was young, was... Uh, be bold, be happy, you know, ju just d work in something that you love. And, and if you're in that, that, that space and you, and you love what you do, be bold, you know, don't, don't ever allow yourself to be directed or, or, or guided too closely as to what somebody else thinks you should or shouldn't be doing. I always say to people, if, if everybody is is walking in one direction, then then you should turn and walk against them. Why? Just by going in that different direction, you will question things in a different way. You will look for. You'll have to navigate a different path because everybody's coming against you. You'll have to understand why the direction you're taking is 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 
different, potentially better. So I, I think enjoy what you do, be bold, be brave. And what I've enjoyed in my career is I've I've always I've always backed myself. I've always said, you know, I'm not going to rely on somebody else to shape my career. I'm not going to allow somebody to control my career. I mean, I I think the last time I checked, the person that cares most about my career is uh, me. And therefore, uh, anybody who relies on somebody else is, is looking at somebody who doesn't care about their career as much as they do <laughs> to to shape it for them. So uh, I think the thing I've enjoyed most is I've, I've, I've backed myself, I've trusted myself. It's had some phenomenal highs and it's had some some brutal lows. But in that time, it's always been down to me to either get myself out of the hole or to enjoy the view from the top of the mountain when it's gone well. And and so I would say for me, it's it's always been about being bold, being happy, backing yourself and, and realizing that the, the one person in the world that cares about you is you. Drew, that is a great piece of advice. And I really do hope the listeners take that on board. How can people interact with you? Uh, I'm I'm on uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so they can find me under under Drew Thompson. Uh, I uh, I'm also on uh, Twitter under uh, Drew T 1968, uh, and indeed through Football's Voice, uh, we send out a weekly newsletter from Football's Voice, which tries to just pick a topic every week. Uh, that is of interest and relevant to what's happening in football at this point in time. And we also do a little roundup of, of what we see as being some of the significant things that have, that have happened that, that week. So that's that's probably the three best places to interact. That is great. To all the listeners listening in, to be able to connect with Drew, all his contact details and links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Drew, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. What a really interesting interview by Drew, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. What I learned the most from this interview was Drew's opinion about the sports industry and how fans are losing their opinions and engagement with professional sport, in this case football. As we spoke about, football started by the fans, and to me... This is an area of opportunity where people can get engaged. You as the listener can be engaged from an employment standpoint. So I really do hope you took on board what Drew was saying because there is access and opportunity for you to make a difference to the football industry going forward. Now, at the end of each interview, as always, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Drew said, be bold be happy and work in something you love and realizing that the one person in the world who cares about you is you.